Amen. Well, that is a great way to kind of start into our passage today. Because the passage that we're looking at, he's right, there's a lot of compromise, there's a lot of corruption coming from outside the religious community and inside of it. And in a lot of ways, the time that Samuel is living in is much like our own. It's described as a time when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Things that are evil are being celebrated as good. People are doing things that are against God's standard and not even trying to hide it anymore. And it can be very discouraging when we see things like that. And yet what I love about this passage is that weaved throughout this, I believe the Holy Spirit constructed it in a certain way so that even in the midst of that, we see the hope that he is bringing because God is still raising up faithful priests and faithful parents even in the midst of that dark world. And so I want to just read the first part of this passage for you so that you can hear this contrast. Because on one side we're going to have Eli, the high priest, and his two sons, who are priests at the tabernacle. And on the other side, Hannah and her son, Samuel. So we're starting in 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning with verse 12 today. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, Then you may take as much as you desire. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now I know there's a lot of strange details there, so just get that they're corrupting the sacrifice, because we'll come back to it. But, But now look at this. It says next, But Samuel... Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer this yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. Which, guys, is like, understatement of all history, right? It's not a good report. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel? The child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. 
And as I read that, you hear this stark contrast between the corruption and the compromise of a parent, Eli, these priests, his sons, and the faithfulness of Hannah as a parent and Samuel as a priest that God is raising up. And I think the Holy Spirit, through Samuel, has written it that way so that when you and I are faced with that darkness, we see the hope that is in the midst of it. And so I think that God would be giving us this morning four priestly patterns that you and I can follow. Two that come from looking at this darkness and two that come from looking at this faithfulness. Because here's the reality. If you are a Christ follower, the New Testament calls you a priest. If you are a parent... You are a priest. If you are a leader in your family, in your workplace, you are a priest. If you are a friend or a neighbor, you are a priest because a priest is someone who represents men to God and God to mankind. That's our role as priests, that we're given a privilege to represent God to the people around us. So the first priestly pattern that we want to look at today, coming out of that corruption, we're going to try to do the opposite, okay? Everybody on board with that? Let's do the opposite of Aaron's sons, is to avoid focusing on yourself instead of God. That's our first priestly pattern, and we see it come right away, to avoid the corruption of focusing on yourself instead of God, because that's what they were doing. You saw in verse 12, this incredible comment, now the sons of Eli were corrupt, They did not know the Lord? How in the world did they ever become priests and they don't even know God? Like, imagine if I told you that we have an awesome staff here at Horizon. I love everybody who's a part of our team. I I don't really know if they're Christians, um, but they're really nice to work with. Wait, what? How are they supposed to lead people into the worship of the living God and they don't even know him? So one thing you have to understand is that at this point in history, the priestly office was hereditary. It was passed down from father to son. And so this actually tracks all the way back to Aaron. So for these guys, without even knowing the Lord, they could say something like, well, I mean, I'm a priest because my dad was a priest and his dad was a priest, so I guess I'm a priest too. And it's unclear if they even knew the law, but if they did, they didn't care. Now here's the danger in that. Because this is one easy place for you and I to say, wow, how could you be so foolish, so corrupt, so, so ridiculous? Like, you're a priest and you don't even know God? Like, that seems so obvious. But you would be surprised how often, even in my own friendships, I hear people say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian because my parents were Christians. I actually had uh, lunch with a friend recently that as we were sitting and just kind of talking about his spiritual journey and where he was at, The words that he spoke to me were, I'm a Christian, okay, cool, because my parents are Christians, but I'm sure if I grew up in a Muslim house or a Hindu house, I'd probably meet Muslim or Hindu. And look, there's a certain logic to that, right? Like, clearly our parents have influence on us, and if they teach us those things and they lead us into those things, we're more likely to pick them up. That's true. But what that belies is that if Jesus really is who he says he is, If he says he is the only way, and if I say I'm a Christian, but I don't think he's the only way, how well do I really know Jesus if he and I disagree about who he is? Right? And so that's not to pick on my friend. That's not to pick on anybody else. It's just to get us to think through some of these questions 
Because that's part of how we trip into this place where we are open to the kind of compromise and corruption that Eli's sons were if we don't actually have a relationship with the living God. That they could know the law, they could be around the the church, the worship place, around other people worshiping all the time, but they didn't know him themselves. And that shows up in the way that they're doing the sacrifice, because we, we read this a couple minutes ago, but essentially what's happening is people are bringing boiling meat for a specific sacrifice, and it tells us in Leviticus, which we actually did verse by verse, and so if you want to check this out, you can go on the app and you can tap verse by verse and look up Leviticus. <laughs> I recommend chapter 10, another place we see sons of the priest mess up the sacrifice, or chapter 21 that helps us think about how to be priests. But they would have known all of that. They had Leviticus verse by verse too. And they would know that the priest is supposed to get the breast portion and the shoulder portion. But instead, you can see a picture here. They're using these three-pronged forks that anything that people bring, they're digging into the pot and just taking whatever they want. So this is not even like, the fork isn't even supposed to be involved. This has nothing to do with it. It's not like they're almost doing it right and, oh, I just didn't really know. No, they have completely thrown out the way God's sacrifice is supposed to be done so they can take it for themselves, focused on themselves instead of God. The second way that they were doing that that we also saw is that it says in verse 15, before they burned the fat, they would come and demand meat for roasting. Now, on one level, I get this. Like, if everybody's bringing you boiled beef, I don't know, that's not, like, I'd rather barbecue it. Hey, give me the raw stuff and I'll throw it on the grill. But here's the problem with that. Again, in Leviticus, God was very, very specific that the fat is burned first because that is the best portion. So that portion belongs to God. So when they do it this way, they are saying, I want the best for me. God can have what's left. Now again, as we listen to this, it is easy for us to feel like, well, this should be obvious. I mean, it was right there. Do this, not that. And they're going against it. It's obvious. Well, they don't even know God, so what can you expect from them? But it's almost like when we hit those New Testament passages about the Pharisees, like how easy it is to dismiss the Pharisees, and then we stop and realize, ooh, there might be things in me that aren't that different. (laughs) That there might be a little more of Hophni and Phinehas in me than I realize. And so I want to just give you a couple of questions that you can ask yourself kind of as a self-assessment for this kind of compromise. And so one of those is is to ask yourself, who do I sacrifice for? Who is it that I give the best to? Do I give the best to myself first? First? And then kind of whatever's left over, maybe I'll give God some of that. Or do I sacrifice the best of my resources, of my time, of my heart to God first? Do I give him the best portion? And then I receive from him the generosity of everything else that's left that he has given me. Here's another question. If you call yourself a Christ follower, a Christian... What do you mean when you say that? Does it mean that somewhere, sometime, some long time ago, I said a prayer and so leave me alone? Or does it mean that every day I'm getting to know God better? 
that every day I'm learning this priestly pattern of focusing less on myself and more on him. Because guys, that is why Horizon is here. Like, Horizon is not here to get you to be part of Horizon. Horizon is not here just to to give you apps to download and, and groups to join as if you don't have enough apps on your phone or as if you're so bored during the week you don't know what to do. So we'll just, we'll, we'll do some groups just to try to help keep you busy. <laughs> I would tell you, actually the way that we state our mission is that Horizon is here to help you connect to God through the Bible and a growing and a community of growing Christ followers. Everything we do is to help you know God better. To know him for yourself. Not just to know about him, not just to know the Bible. I'll be honest with you. I think that if you and I spend the next few months going through the book of Samuel, and if you and I memorize the whole thing, and you could repeat it back to me, like with your eyes closed, with the Bible hidden behind your back, and and repeat the entire book, and you don't know God any better, you might have wasted your time. If I can read the entire Bible in a year, but I never talked to God about it once or asked him to check my own heart or help me grow, I might have wasted my time. But I believe that when we get into this book, when we go through it verse by verse, when we dig deep and we say, God, who are you? What are you showing me? What are you teaching me? What are you telling me? That this is why we're here. Because that's what helps us avoid that compromise of focusing on ourselves is when we know God better. And so our second priestly pattern, then, is, is very similar to the first, but it's, it's kind of reversed. The second priestly pattern is to honor God instead of yourself. Honor God instead of yourself. You see, this is what Eli was missing. In fact, in the examples that it has given us, we see that it is his sons who are going sideways, but Eli is not innocent in all of this. And so in verse 22, we saw, it says that Eli was very old, He heard everything his sons did to all Israel. So the reality appears to be that this has been going on for a long time. It's been going on for years, and Eli knows all about it, and apparently hasn't done anything, hasn't disciplined them, hasn't removed them for the priesthood. They're able to do it every single year to the point that it has told us that people actually abhorred the sacrifice. They hated coming to worship because of what his sons were doing. And he gives that sort of half-hearted response, it's not a good report that I hear. No discipline, no actual consequence. And look at that last line. He even tells them, you make the Lord's people transgress. You see, here's the problem. You and I, I mean, we, we hear the news enough. We know what it looks like when people are hurt by corruption within religious leadership. We know how painful it is when people have felt, and and some of us are probably here today. We've been hurt by church or by Christians in the past, and it makes me not even want to go. That now their corruption is not only hurting them, but it's hurting people around them who actually want to distance themselves from the worship of God because of what they see going on there. But again, I want us to come back and think about ourselves too, to do this self-assessment. Because the next example it gives us is that they're actually sleeping with the women who are supposed to be serving in the tabernacle. Other people who are supposed to be helping people come into worship. And it's so easy for us to take that and say, 
And it's true. It's disgusting. It's corrupt. It's evil. And I think this passage shows you how serious God is about this. That God has no interest in saying, well, you know, we all make mistakes. Right? But that God takes this extremely seriously. But this is for us too. This warning is for us too. If we are here as Christ followers, as sons and daughters of the king, we are priests who represent him in this world. Are we coming to a place of worship? Are we gathering together and bringing compromise with us? Like if we just think about their categories for ourselves, sexual sin, greed, lying, deceit, stealing, Do I come into a place and say, hey, this is where I worship and this will be good and we'll sing and we'll do that Bible thing? And are you sleeping with someone who isn't your spouse? Or as Jesus describes, are you entertaining lustful thoughts about someone who isn't your spouse? Or in our technological world, are you using pornography? Are we carrying that compromise in with us? Are you fudging the numbers? Because just a little bit more for me probably isn't that big of a deal, and I don't think anyone will notice, and I'm putting myself before God's standard. Or maybe it's some things that aren't in their categories. Do I, do I come into this place and say that I love God and I'm trying to pursue that, but I go home and I'm passive-aggressive towards my family or giving full vent to my anger? You see, there is a lot of grace for us because God loves mercy. God loves to forgive. But what these two guys were doing is that they continued in this compromise, they continued in these patterns, and they refused to turn away from it. They continued to bring it into a place of worship where then it hurt them and it hurt people around them. In fact, in the next couple of lines in verse 25, Eli makes this really painful statement that if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? And it seems to be that Eli's implication is that there is no answer to that question. But that is what the priest is supposed to do. Go before God on behalf of men. In fact, that is where the hope of Jesus Christ comes from. Because he is the one who intercedes that when I find myself in compromise, instead of rejecting God the way they do, I can actually fall at his feet and beg for forgiveness. And he has provided it through Christ. But then we get to verse 27, and this is a part that we haven't read yet. Because of all of this that is happening, it says in verse 27, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, So now man of God, that phrase usually refers to um, a prophet. So this prophet is anonymous, but he brings an important word to Eli. He came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Okay, now I love that he starts this way because he's about to get to the consequences for this compromise and corruption. But first, what he does right here, those phrases, did I not, did I not, did I not? Guys, that is how we honor God instead of ourselves. What he does first is remind them of God's faithfulness 
bringing them out of Egypt, of the privilege God has given them that they represent him before other people, and of his generosity to them through all of the offerings. See, the way we worship, the way we honor God is when we reflect on who God is and what God has done. It's what Eli and his sons failed to do, but what this man of God reminded them of even before telling them anything else. And guys, that's for us. As priests in the kingdom of Christ the King, when we honor God by remembering how just like this, we were brought out of slavery, just like they were brought out of Egypt when he gave us forgiveness. How we see his faithfulness to us in that. How we are given privilege that we serve the king and we represent him to the people around us. And the incredible generosity of everything that he has blessed us with, not only in this life, but for the life to come. That's how we honor God. Because they didn't do that, the consequences are going to be listed as well. And I'm just going to read these to you because in a couple chapters we'll see some of this fulfilled and we'll be able to come back to it. But this is what it says. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men who I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Ooh. Still with me? A little hot under the collar? Because look at this next verse. Even here, he weaves in this hope. God says, then I will raise up... Oh, hold on. Still, verse 34. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Now, again, we'll hit on this in a, in a couple of chapters, but I just want to mention real quick, because it said that God wanted to kill them. What you have to understand there is that this has gone on a long time, and God delights in mercy, but when we reject God's mercy, he also delights in removing evil. And so I'll make a case in a couple of chapters that I believe that Hophni and Phinehas actually had multiple opportunities for repentance, and when they have fully and finally rejected that, Then God moves on and says, then what I want now is to remove the evil. And so these are the consequences of him removing his protection because they have chosen to continue in that. But even in that, verse 35, he brings us this hope. He says, then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. I know that it is difficult when we see compromise around us to step up to it, but this is why it is so important 
that calling out disobedience is so much more than just saying, hey, we all make mistakes. Hey, nobody's perfect. Yes, those things are true. But when we find those things, that is what God wants us to relinquish to him, to repent from, to turn over to him, that we may begin to see the blessing instead of the consequence. That those are the places that he wants to give us mercy and forgiveness for. And so that actually brings us to our third priestly pattern. We've seen the two that come from the side of the corruption. Now let's focus on the hope a little bit. The third priestly pattern is to lead your family in worship year by year. In fact, if we jump back now to verse 18, right in the middle of all of this, God gives us these words. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now for them, that would mean coming to Shiloh. And you can see a picture of Shiloh here. And on that left end where it's highlighted in red, again, because God is showing us a literal place on planet Earth where this really happened and he proved his faithfulness. That part that's highlighted in red, we think is where the tabernacle probably was, because as they've excavated this, they found a layer of ash, a layer of broken pottery, which would probably be from the pots and things that people brought the meat in, and a layer of animal bones, where probably the sacrifices were being done. And so this was a real place that Hannah and her family would come year by year. And I love that phrase. In fact, I think if you go back to verse 19 there, I think this may be the most important verse in this passage. Because in this moment, Hannah demonstrates what it is like to lead her family in worship. I mean, think about this for a second. If Samuel is the faithful priest that God is raising up, how on earth is he going to learn who God is from Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas? Like, imagine Samuel hears Leviticus... Hey guys, what are, why, why do we have the three-pronged? I didn't see that in the book. Hey, kid, don't worry about it. Well, here's what I think. It, it describes how Hannah, I love this, made him a little robe and brought it to him year by year. That repeated faithfulness, that ongoing commitment. And I think you can just imagine every year as she came to this little boy, serving at the tabernacle, even in the midst of all of that darkness, and telling him, Maybe as she fixes the robe, makes sure it fits, maybe needs to bring it up a little bit. Samuel, let me tell you about the God that you serve. I prayed for you for decades, Samuel. And I knew that if God didn't provide, he was still faithful. But because you are here, I know that you are special. That God loves you. And that he has a plan for you. In fact... When we first brought you here, when we dedicated you to God, I prayed, my soul rejoices in the Lord. God raises up. God brings low. And I just wonder if it's from his mother that Samuel learns who God really is. You see, because I think this is Hannah's legacy. Hannah, in so many ways, was more qualified than the priests because Hannah knew the Lord. It was Hannah who first in the Bible referred to him as the Lord of hosts. It was Hannah first in the Bible to use the word Messiah. And I think it was Hannah, year by year, teaching Samuel who the Lord is. 
that he serves so that Samuel would know the Lord. She shared her story with him when she would lead him in worship. And so it goes on to say that Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife. And at the end of verse 21, it tells us that the child Samuel grew before the Lord. God is raising up faithful parents and faithful priests. Faithful people who will represent him to their families, to their communities, to their friends, to their neighbors. And if you are in this room today, I believe that this is for you. I believe that this is why we're here. And I told you before that that Horizon is here to help you know God better. But you know, it's not just us in this room. It's all over this building. It's all over this city. It's all over this community. In fact, kids like Samuel are every bit as much a part of our mission and our vision right here in this place. In fact, I love this. If you think about this on Sundays, when you see all the little kids that are back there in East Station... And maybe, you're, maybe you've got some back there and you see them down there and you see them in their classrooms or you see them coming out the hallway with their little stickers on and everything and like a cup full of bagels and all that good stuff. Here's what I love about this. You look at a picture like this. How many Hannahs do you see in that picture? How many little girls who are learning to pray deeply, even for decades at a time, How many little girls who know God so well that they can pass it on to the people around them and tell them how they met him, how they know him, how they've seen him be faithful? You know, how many little Samuels are in that picture or or walking through that atrium after a service, after their class? Little boys who are learning who God is, who are learning to say, speak, your servant is listening, who are learning how to help other people around them know God better and worship him for who he really is. I don't know about you, but but when I think about some of those things, and I think about trying to do that either as a parent with my family or in that priestly mode with, with friends and neighbors that I have, I often feel terribly unequipped. I feel like I look at a story like Hannah, I'm like, oh my goodness, she is perfect. Like, I don't pray that well, and I'm not, I don't trust him that long, and I'm not that faithful, and, and I, I try to, like, explain things to my kids, but I feel like I mess it up a lot, and, and there's just a lot of times where I'm aiming for that hand of thing, and I end up doing some kind of Drew thing instead. So let me just encourage you this way, because I think when you think about what Hannah actually does, she's not qualified for this because she's in the priestly line, because she went to seminary, or because, or whatever— What she does, first of all, is she tells Samuel her story. What we have recorded here in these first two chapters, written by Samuel's hand through the power of the Holy Spirit, I think is because she just kept telling him, hey, this is what I did. Hey, this is what it looked like. I I know I don't know everything and I didn't memorize the law and I'm not in charge of the sacrifice, but this is what I do know. God is the Lord of hosts and he is faithful and he can raise up the humble. And so I prayed that way. And Samuel, or your kids, or your friends, they get to learn from you how you've gotten to know God. That when they go through something that you've been through, and you can say, hey, 
Here's how I got through it. I learned this from God. You know, I think the second thing that she does is she finds ways that she can get equipped and uses that to equip Samuel. So maybe you don't make little robes. Maybe you do. (laughs) I don't. But what is God teaching you and where is he teaching you that that you can then share it with your kids? In fact, there's a number of times every year that in this building... We have the same thing going on in E-Station from 0 to 4th grade with the 5th through 8th grade and with the high school and in this room so that we're all getting equipped with the same stuff at the same time. And so I would encourage you, more than just showing up on a weekend and saying, I did that church thing, this is really good. This is part of how we want you to be equipped. That you don't just hear this, but that you actually absorb this. You take this home. You pray through it. You read ahead. You know, guys, for us, it may be coming to authentic manhood. It starts tonight at 8 o'clock or tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And that's a place where we're showing up and saying, what does it look like for my work to be worshipped? For me to be a priest in the place that I work? How do I think about work with God's help? And so you can actually, you can find details for that. You can register online. But honestly, even if at like 7.30 tonight you think, "Eh, maybe I should go to that. Hey, just show up. Get equipped. Use that to equip your kids. Teach them what you're learning. Because the last thing that Hannah does is she prays. She just prays for her kids. And I think that is so powerful. Because then what she prays is the realization that throughout this book, we're going to see some kids who are faithful, some kids who go sideways, but in all of it, we have to pray that our kids would know God, that he would show himself to them. You know, it may even be that you want to do like Hannah did and dedicate your child to God. You know, we actually do child dedications here at Horizon. A couple times a year, and often on, right on this stage, we have families who bring their children and say, I want my child to know God the way I'm getting to know God. Now here's the really good news for you. We don't do them quite like Hannah did. So if you do a child dedication here at Horizon, we let you take them home with you. <laughs> Isn't that so nice? Isn't that a great deal? They can still get haircuts. They can still do all that stuff. But it's just a moment to say, I want my child to know God the way I did, and and this is me committing to that with a community. In fact, if you're interested in that, we do have one coming up in February. There's actually a a meeting right after this in Skybox A if you want more information. Otherwise, there's another meeting February 9th. But again, it's an opportunity to feed that to our kids, to lead them in worship. Because here's why. Ultimately, we're trying to get to priestly pattern number four, which is to know a better priest. Know a better priest. You see, back in verse 35, Eli stumbled onto this without, I'm not even sure if he realized it, as this prophet spoke to him, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. He shall walk before my anointed forever. Now a piece of this is about Samuel, a faithful priest who is being raised up. I think a piece of this is about David, a man who had his own issues, and yet he was always willing to repent and was still called a man after God's own heart who would be God's anointed king. But when you see that word, like forever, then you know it's more than just Samuel and David because they didn't live forever. This is about Jesus. In fact, this is what answers the question Eli asked. If you sin against God, who can intercede for you? But 1 John 2.1 actually gives us that answer when it says, if anyone sins... And guys, this is everyone, and every sin is against God. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. So think about this. God is telling you that he has raised up the perfect priest, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and that he was raised up by the perfect parent, the Father God himself. This is why no matter what compromise you find yourself in today, you have found yourself in the past or you may find yourself in in the future, you have an advocate before God who took your death penalty for you that you might be forgiven, that you might be able to represent him as a priest, as a parent, as a leader to the people around you. That's why Peter, in one of his letters, in 1 Peter 2.9, wrote this. And when it says you, I want you to hear this for you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is how we worship. This is how we honor him. So let me suggest a key takeaway for you today. Be a faithful parent. Be a faithful priest who represents God even in a dark world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am so thankful that you are an advocate for us. I am so thankful that you desire mercy and that you have shown it to me, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would show it to the people who are listening today. God, that you would give us your grace in our moments of compromise, that you would teach us how to be obedient, that you would raise us up as faithful parents in our families, as faithful priests in our communities who would represent you no matter what is going on around us, that we would see your hope and give you glory. By your Spirit's power and in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thank you for coming. We will see you next week.